So we've been looking uh, since the beginning of the year at the Old Testament book of Ezra. We're going to continue that uh, today. Uh, last week, we noticed after 16 years of failure, uh, where the people of God are not doing what it was that he had told them to do to rebuild the temple and rebuild Jerusalem, God sent prophets, the prophets preached, prophesied, and and the uh, the building is going on. And so what we're going to read about today is uh, government officials from uh, the Persian Empire are looking at what's going on and they are trying to intimidate and stop the work again. Um, maybe you're a government bureaucrat. Don't laugh. You could, it's a God-honoring occupation, right? Um, we hear that word and we think it's a bad word, not, not necessarily. Uh, these guys were bad. Uh, but maybe you've had to, to, to deal with that. I, I'm reminded um, when I was nine or ten years old, we were building a shed on our farm, and a guy pulled up in the driveway of the farm in a in a car that had the county logo on the side of the door, and he asked my dad where his building permit was for the shed, and my dad said, uh, uh, it's in the lockbox uh, in the house. It's the deed to this property with my name on it. And you can leave now. Um, <laughs> yeah, uh, he did things like that. And so, uh, ironically, that our farm now has uh, condos and uh, a subdivision on it. And uh, the last time I went by there, the only remaining structure from our farm that's on there was that shed we built uh, <laughs> without a uh, without a building permit. So, uh, and you may be thinking. Well, I wouldn't want somebody in my neighborhood just building anything. Our nearest neighbor was a mile away, so it's not like they could see our shed. It wasn't that great, but, uh, yeah. So uh, this, we, we kind of have a little bit of that going on uh, in this text uh, uh, today. So before I read it, uh, let, me, let me pray, and uh, we'll see what God has for us this morning. Lord, we uh, confess to you today that uh, we are weak and easily discouraged and quick to quit, uh, uh, the work that you have uh, uh, given us to do, um, that we uh, wonder and worry and fret uh, when our enemy threatens us, that we often uh, uh, flee, uh, we have anxious hearts. And so today, as, as we read about uh, the resistance that your people uh, met and the work that you did uh, to encourage their hearts, I pray that you would bless us. Lord, we... Um, we are involved, you have seen fit to involve us uh, in the building of your church and the building of your kingdom. And so would you bless us today uh, to take courage? I pray today for the, the anxious, the fretful, the discouraged, uh, that you would give grace. We ask this in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. So uh, the, the prophets of God have spoken. The building uh, uh, there, the temple has begun and here, uh, re-begun. And here we are in Ezra chapter 5, verses 3 through 17 with what happens next. Uh, this is God's word. We should hear it and respond to it as such this morning. At the same time, Tatanai, the governor of the province beyond the river, and Shether, Bozani, and their associates came to them and spoke to them thus, Who gave you a decree to build this house? And to finish the structure, they also asked them this, what are the names of the men who are building this building? 
But the eye of their God was on the elders of the Jews, and they did not stop until the report should reach Darius, and then an answer be returned by letter concerning it. This is a copy of the letter that Tatnai, the governor of the province beyond the river, and Shether Bozani and his associates, the governors who were in the province beyond the river, sent to Darius the king. They sent him a report in which was written as follows, to Darius the king, all peace. Be it known to the king that we went to the province of Judah, to the house of the great God. It is being built with large stones and timber is laid in the walls. This work goes on diligently and prospers in their hands. Then we asked those elders and spoke to them thus, who gave you a decree to build this house and to finish the structure? We also asked them their names for your information that we might write down the names of their leaders. And this was their reply to us. We are the servants of the God of heaven and earth, and we are rebuilding the house that was built many years ago, which a great king of Israel built and finished. But because our fathers had angered the God of heaven, he gave them into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, the Chaldean, who destroyed this house and carried away the people to Babylonia. However, in the first year of Cyrus, king of Babylon, Cyrus the king made a decree that this house of God should be rebuilt, and the gold and Silver vessels of the house of God, which Nebuchadnezzar had taken out of the temple that was in Jerusalem and brought into the temple of Babylon. These Cyrus the king took out of the temple of Babylon and they were delivered to one whose name was Sheshbazzar, whom he had made governor. And he said to him, take these vessels, go and put them in the temple that is in Jerusalem and let the house of God be rebuilt on its site. Then this Sheshbazzar came and laid the foundations of the house of God that is in Jerusalem And from that time until now, it has been in building, and it is not yet finished. Therefore, if it seems good to the king, let search be made in the royal archives there in Babylon to see whether a decree was issued by Cyrus the king for the rebuilding of this house of God in Jerusalem. And let the king send us his pleasure in this matter. So one thing to note there at the very end of this text, one of the things that that jumps out at that is, uh, you know, it's been uh, over 20-something years since uh, the folks there have returned back to Jerusalem. And uh, they're being a little boastful about the work being ongoing because it's kind of started and stopped, started and stopped every time they uh, they ran in, into difficulties. Uh, but this has been where God's attention has been focused primarily in the world. And here, the Persian government is so big and so sprawling, they can't even remember the the decrees and the things that happened to set this up to, to begin with. It's a, in, in the scope of their minds, it's a very minor thing. Um, uh, a, a minor kind of regional issue uh, that could blow up, and that's why they're asking these questions about it. So this text is, is pretty important for us today because I think it speaks uh, directly to us in ways that uh, we may not be prepared uh, this morning to, to really uh, uh, lay hold of. And, and, and the first thing is this. When we read this, it seems kind of odd. The people are building. And then uh, these other folks come along and say, who told you to do this? And by the way, give us the names of the people who are doing the building. Now, Brian, you can put my notes up there. One of the things to note about that is one of the things that's hard for us probably to fully understand is uh, what is it like to live as a subjugated people? What's that like? What's it like? Because remember, for more for 70 years, uh, uh, these uh, the ancestors of these people were carried away. Uh, they lived in Babylon. They were in exiles, right? And they had 
people watching them and subjugating them. Remember, we, we read the psalm where they said that the Babylonians mocked them. But not only did they mock them, but I'm sure they uh, were checking on them and were uh, oppressing them, right? What's it like to be totally subjugated with no opportunity, no pathway of appeal? To be uh, caught up in a situation where uh, the people that are over you are more powerful than you. Uh, They have not only the power maybe to take your property away from you, but to take your life if you're doing something that they don't like, right? And so what's it like to live under the whims and shifting fortunes of rulers who have absolutely no accountability? You know, the Persian emperor could do whatever he wanted to. To anybody he wanted to. And there was no Supreme Court or no Congress or no Senate or no anything like that to say, hey, you can't do that. Right? Um, you know, a lot of times we bellyache because we think we're in so much trouble. You know, the vast majority of the folks in this room today have never lived in a situation like that. A few of you have. But most of us... Uh, live in a situation that's far removed from being in a place where the people who govern us have absolutely no accountability to us whatsoever. And so as you can imagine, when somebody in governmental authority comes to you and says, who told you you could do this? And what are the names of the people who are doing it? It's pretty frightening, right? I mean, that that sounds like, uh-oh, we're in trouble and uh, the trouble's going to get worse, right? So uh, even though they're they're doing what they're doing under the authority of you know several administrations ago, and 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 are trying to do what they believe that God has told them to do, here they are in this kind of situation. Now I'm sure for now several generations, you know, there's a whole ethos, there's a whole way of of living and moving and working around that. I mean, it'll be interesting someday for us to get a full accounting of what the Christian church has been like in China for the last 80 years, right? What really has gone on there? What, what's it really been like for those people to worship and to live and to, to function in the, in, in the way in which they have, right? So, so the fact of the matter is these, these folks are probably, it, it's amazing that they're doing this work and here as they're doing it, there's been an intimidation there's been over the years all sorts of things that have happened. And now, yet again, these Persians are coming and interfering with the work that God is doing there. So uh, why, why would Ezra want us to, to read this text? Why would he want his audience to read this text? Well, because he wants us to be encouraged. And he wants us to be encouraged in the midst of difficulty and in the midst of resistance and in the midst of challenge to take a couple of things about our God and about the way he works and functions in the world to move us to continue on the path that he has us on, right? So this is that's why he's doing this. And the first thing that you have to see about this is is that what Ezra wants the people to see and to be grateful for is what we're going to call the preventive providence of God. Now, what is the providence of God? Well, the providence of God, our confession of faith says, it is the uh, uh, the work of God whereby... Uh, he orders all the affairs of the universe, right? 
Uh, and that is a great and comforting promise to us, right? Uh, Derek Thomas, uh, a writer, says, says this about it, right? When he, when he says that the eye of their God was on the elders of the Jews, what we read is that the word, the work there didn't stop. And so the word stop in verse five is an example of God's providence preventing something from happening that would otherwise happen. We're familiar enough with the idea of what God sends our way as his providence, but there's also an equal oversight of prevention. Things happen because God orders them to happen, orders them to happen before they happen, and orders them to happen in precisely the way that they happen. But there is equally a controlling superintendence over the affairs of the world and our lives, ensuring that certain things do not happen. We probably don't think about that very often. But that's, that's, you know, it's just important that things happen to us for a reason, that things don't happen to us for a reason, right? Uh, and, and the, and the truth of the matter is, we're largely unaware of that. If something didn't happen to you, you don't know that it didn't happen to you, right? Occasionally we get a glimpse of that. Wow, this, this, something, you know, some, we just averted disaster here or, or something like that. But my guess is that your God is causing you to be kept from disaster all the time. And you're not even aware of it. You know, maybe, maybe if you'd gotten to that intersection, uh, 10 seconds earlier, you would have gotten T-boned and you don't even know that, right? Or in, any number of things like that, uh, that, that could happen. What God's doing here is he's keeping the people focused on their work. When it says that his eye is on them, he is ordering them, he is paying attention to them, he is caring for them, and one of the ways he's caring for them is not is to, to stop something from happening. When I was uh, 16, I uh, got my driver's license, and uh, uh, my dad thought it would be really cool if I had this 1968 uh uh, Oldsmobile Cutlass with a 400 cubic inch V8 engine. It was a very fast car, very powerful car. The kind of car that, you know, when you're at the uh, uh, red light and somebody pulls up next to you and it sounds like the car's about to fly apart, like that, that's a very powerful car. And that was my car. Now, the great thing about this car, well, not the great thing. What, one, of the, one of the things that was dynamic about this car was it didn't have air conditioning, so there's no chance of taking any power away from the engine to cool you off. It didn't even have power steering. So all the power in the engine was, was pointed at one thing, making the tires spin as fast and as powerfully as possible. It was a terrible car for a 16-year-old boy to have. So the first week I had my driver's license, I'm, I'm going, I had to go somewhere and I needed gas. And so I pull, I, I go to the gas station that we normally went to. And as I'm pulling into the gas station, I hit a gas pump. Hit a gas pump. Now, every now and then, you know, I like to watch the news and they show like those video camera shots of when somebody hits a gas pump and there's a... F- you know, a tower of flame looks like, you know, God and Moses moving around in the wilderness, you know, like this pillar of fire that's rolling around. That could have easily happened. But it didn't. And the guy who owned the, the, the gas station is a friend of mine. He comes out, he's like, yeah, you hit it. Let's see if it works. So he filled my car up with gas. It still worked. And he took a hammer and just banged on the pump, knocked the bent out the piece that was bent. 
and said, yeah, that'll be $3.50. And I handed him the money and I drove off. And I thought, well, you know, that was weird. (laughs) And I didn't think about it anymore. Now, as a 60-year-old man, I look back on that and I think, wow, why aren't I a sender? Why, why, Why didn't I just burn up right there on the spot? Well, maybe you haven't lived as uh, risky a life as I have, but the, but, the, but the fact is there are a million things like that in our lives that happen probably on a regular basis that we, are, we don't ha- even think twice about or have a clue about, but the love of God is manifest in keeping things from happening. Now, we, we tend to think that, you know, that, you know, we're the, we're the, uh, target of all kinds of terrible things happening. But the fact of the matter is, we know and we believe that God orders the affairs of our lives. In fact, he orders the affairs of all of the world for our good. And so when it says that his eye is on this tiny little group, weak group of people there in Jerusalem trying to rebuild this temple, when, they, when he's doing that, he is protecting them. He is providing for them. He is overseeing what's happening there. Now, the Persians think this is a minor issue. But the God of the universe, his eye is on this little group of people there trying, struggling, failing to rebuild this temple. Right? Listen, you should, you should be one of the things that we're, you know, it's hard enough for us to be grateful and thankful and, and aware of the things that God does for us. But it's, it's, it's equally a part of his providence for the things that he keeps from happening to us. Psalm 124 could have been written very much for these people. And I, I, I think it's a, it's, I, I think it's good for us to read it this morning. If it had not been the Lord on our side, let Israel say, if it had not been the Lord who was on our side, when people rose up against us, then they would have swallowed us up alive when their anger was kindled against us. Then the flood would have swept us away. The torrent would have gone over us. Then over us would have gone the raging waters. Blessed be the Lord who has not given us as prey to their teeth. We've escaped like a bird from the snare of the fowlers. The snare is broken and we've escaped. Our help is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth. Our help is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth. Whether it's in the ordering of the affairs of our lives to bring us good things, to bring us challenging things. Or our help is in the name of the Lord in ways that he protects us that we may not even be aware of. I think one of the things that will be so rich about heaven is you'll see probably a million different things where God kept disaster from occurring that you were not even aware of at all probably in our lives. So this pitiful little group of, of men that are there trying to rebuild this temple, the eye of God is upon them. He is protecting them, he is caring for them, and he is seeing to it that his work and his purpose goes forward. You can rejoice today that God protects you, and you don't even know it. He protects the ones he loves, and often they don't know it, because our eye is not always on him, but his eye is always on us, right? But there's another part of this, this, this text too, because when the people get challenged and when they, when, when the, the, the enemies come and say, who gave you a decree to build this house and to finish this structure? 
We also asked them their names for your information that we might write down the names of their leaders. And this was their reply to us. We are the servants of the God of heaven and earth. And we are rebuilding the house that was built many years ago, which a great king of Israel built and finished. But because our fathers had angered the God of heaven, he gave them into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, the Chaldean, who destroyed this house and carried away the people to Babylonia. Listen, one of the things that we uh, uh, tend to do uh, when we are met with uh, uh, resistance is we have this natural kind of human uh, instinct of fight or flight, right? That's why you sweat. That's why your heart rate goes up. That's why you, you, feel, you feel challenged like that. You get nervous. You feel the butterflies in your stomach. That kind of stuff happens to you when you're met with these kinds of things, right? Um, what do these people do? They don't fight and they don't run. They simply say, you asked us who we are and who told us to do this. We'll tell you. We, we are the servants of the God of heaven and earth. Let me just say that again, right? When met with resistance, when challenged, where, what do we fall back on? When the question comes, who are you and who gives you the authority to do this? What do you go back on? Well, I, you know, it's my own thing. I, you know, I, I came up with this. It is a rich thing for us to remember. And to settle on the reason why we are where we are and we do the things we do is because of who we belong to. We're servants of the God of heaven and earth. We're servants of the God of heaven and earth. That's our identity. That's who we are. Uh, and that is what uh, drives us to be and to do the things that we're doing. And this is a pretty, pretty profound thing because they are, they are in their own way being very defiant against these people who are coming, uh, and challenging them. Because what they're saying is, we know you guys worship another God. We know that you think that he's the God. And we know that you think that that God is better because, you know, our temple, after all, is, you know, a ruin. But we worship the God of heaven and earth, not some regional deity, not some little God that's a God over this nation. We worship the one true God. We are his servants. We belong to him. We're not great. We're servants. We're not uh, uh, super dynamic, powerful people. We're servants of this God, right? Listen, <laughs> the, 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 one of the things that so easily falls off of us is when someone asks you, who are you? What is your default answer? What is it? Is your default to fall upon the identity that God has given you in Christ? Or is it to try to create some other resume and credential that says, I'm this way? They simply say, look, uh, you want to know who we are? We're servants of the God of heaven and earth. And we are rebuilding the house that was built many, many years ago. One of the things that these people understand about their identity is something that we often miss. And it's this. When was the last time you thought it was great, it was a good thing that you were known and loved by 
the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? Probably not much. You know, one one of the things that we miss, we're Americans, right? And so the only thing that really counts and the only thing that has real value is new. Right? And so, you know, I love to see, I, you know, I, I, uh, I, I, I love to see, I get ads all the time or see signs up around uh, where new churches are getting planted. I love new churches. But one of the things that I'm always humored by is the sense that you get sometimes from new churches is, listen, everybody else has been stupid and wrong. We have rediscovered the real truth. Come to our church because we're better than everybody else. Because for the last 2,000 years, everything's been off track. But suddenly, you know, God's done something new. And here we are. What would be awesome would be to see a new church get started. Hey, we're doing things the way the church has always done them. We're going to preach the word. We're going to serve the sacraments. And uh, we're going to try to love people. Our coffee's not that great. Things might go wrong. Pastor might be boring. Right? It is a good thing for us to recognize, and it is a good thing. One of the things that one of the reasons why we are so often discouraged and knocked off course is it feels like to us God just started with us when, in fact, God has been about the business of building his kingdom, of drawing a people to himself, of redeeming a people, of being at work for millennia. And we're in that stream. And so when I get discouraged... I feel like I want to quit. One of the things that I remember is, wait, God's been doing this forever. And there have been people, weak people, failing people, sinful people that he has used, that he has redeemed, and that he has employed in the work of his kingdom. He does that all the time. I don't have to come up with something new or come up with something innovative. The fact is, God's been at work doing this forever. And we should take courage from that. Um, you know, sometimes we think the only thing that has that we're, we're so entertainment oriented and so distracted that it takes something new to get our attention. When the fact is, we might be discouraged because we haven't taken the courage from seeing our God's been faithful for a long time. And if he's been faithful for a long time, I have every reason to hope and believe that he will continue to do so. Right. That's a good thing. So they look back and they say, we're simply in the stream of what God has been doing for thousands of years. But even in the midst of that, they're not arrogant about it because what they recognize is, yes, we're in that stream of the faithfulness of God. But we're also in the stream of our father's anger to God of heaven. They were rebellious. They were independent. They were idol worshipers. And as a result of that, we're in the fix that we're in now. So they're not saying, you know, we're, we're better than everybody else. We're, we're racially, spiritually, uh, ethnically superior. No, we're sinners. We come from a long line of sinners. <laughs> You know, uh, a long line of them. 
And yet, through it all, our God has been faithful and good to redeem and draw a people to himself. There's a real kind of humble uh, certainty, uh, not about ourselves and our abilities and our gifts, but about the God who loves us, who is at work in us. When Jesus Christ arrived on the scene, when he lived and he died and he rose again, that was, that was something that had been in the work for millennia. And the work that he is doing now is the same thing. He is, he, he, he has been faithful to his people for centuries. And so whenever we think, well, it's only, you know, only we have now kept the center on the truth or the center on the way things are, that's not, that's not it at all. God, God has been faithful to raise up, to use uh, people to extend his kingdom forever and ever, right? And so there's a great thing to have humble courage of knowing who we are, the servants of the God of heaven and earth, where we come from. We come from people who are often failing, who are often sinning, but we have a great God who loves us, who tells us that his eye is upon us and he's at work and he's faithful and he will achieve the purpose uh, that he has for us. What a great thing for us to settle our hearts on when we're, when we're tempted to anxiety, when we're tempted to quit, when we're tempted uh, to discourage, and we're tempted to think that our labor, our work, the thing that he's called us to do is just a waste of time. Um, that it's so important for us as we come to the table this morning because when we come to the table uh, and we eat the bread and we drink the cup, uh, the scriptures tell us that we proclaim his death until he comes. Christians have been doing this for 2,000 years. When we come and we eat this bread and we drink this cup, we're participating in and being a part of what uh, God has wanted his people to do for centuries. Sinners, failures, servants, and kings have come to proclaim the Lord's death at his table. And so it's a great, it's a great thing for us uh, to be reminded of that. And just as God was faithful then, he's faithful now. Let's uh, say these words of institution as they're printed in, in the bulletin. There, therefore, we proclaim the mystery of the faith. Christ, our Passover, is sacrificed for us. The gifts of God for the people of God. Uh, let's uh, use this confession of sin uh, printed in the bulletin also up on the screens behind me. Father of glory, our hearts cannot be hidden from your sight. Our blind self-pity, self-serving, and self-justifying are laid bare before your eyes. Have mercy upon us, most merciful God. Grant us the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of Christ, so that the eyes of our hearts may be enlightened. Help us to know the hope to which Jesus called us, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.
believer, hear these words of encouragement. Who is a God like you, pardoning iniquity and passing over transgression for the remnant of his inheritance? He will again have compassion on us. He will tread our iniquities underfoot. You will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea.